Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We continue our series on Jesus or when Jesus comes to church. We're in the fourth of that series, and today we're talking about the church at Thyatira. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say this to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what I have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, that the one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Join me in prayer, please. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come this morning to focus our attention upon what Jesus is saying to this church. And Father, as he visits our church through these lessons today, that we would have ears to hear as well. Give us insight. Help us to be responsive and listening to your Spirit, God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thyatira, a military outpost, was a working man's town, a blue-collar town with many trade guilds or what we would call unions. They had unions for woodworkers and linen workers, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. All of those different kinds of trades in this one small town. And even though this was a small city, it was an important trading point. Since the trade guilds were inseparably intertwined with the local religious observances, they posed a special problem for the economic well-being of the believers of Jesus Christ. There are two women that stand out in the church at Thyatira. Here lived Lydia, whom Paul had won to the Lord Jesus Christ on the riverbank, and she had given much of her wealth to the work of God. And there was also a woman who lived here by the name of Jezebel. That's the name that God gave her. That wasn't really her name, but it was symbolic. We don't know much about who Jezebel was, but we know her. God called her Jezebel because of her character. 
She was like Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidon, whom Ahab had married. Jezebel was a shrewd, cunning woman who led Ahab to establish Baal worship in Israel. It was a very difficult time for the nation of Israel. If you remember, it was the prophet Elijah who had to face not only Ahab, but also Jezebel, and quite the dealing it was. Well, the message to the church at Thyatira is a message to any church that are facing that kind of problem. Here, God talks about the woman who called herself a prophetess, but it could be a man, it could be anyone who creates not only deception, but also teaches things that, of course, are against what God's Word has to say. The church at Thyatira had many things going for it. They were faithful to the Almighty God. That seemed like that way, but Jezebel was in their midst, and that made all the difference. Three things I want to address, which I've been addressing in each of these churches that Jesus had visited and had communicated with in the, the, uh, the, the Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia Minor. First, we find that Jesus commended the church. In verse 19, he said, I know your deeds, your love, and faith your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more now than you did at first. Four things that Jesus commended this body of Christ. First, they had kept their first love. This is a contrast to the church at Ephesus who had forsaken their first love. At Thyatira, Jesus said, I know your love. And the words mean an active, selfless love. A love not given out of a sense of duty, but rather it is an appreciation, one that is respectful, one that is awe-taking because of what Christ had done for them. They wanted to do all that they possibly could, and it was shown through their deeds. It wasn't just lip service, oh, I love Jesus. They actually did it with their feet and their hands by actions. These believers had a deep, heartfelt respect and reverence for God and trying, striving to be obedient to Him. So he commended them that they had kept their first love. He also commended them because they were characterized by their faith. He said, I know your faith. That word faith is an active noun. It's not passive. They did what needed to be done. They trusted God and what God said, and it was shown in their deeds. If God gave them a task to accomplish, and it seemed out of the range for this small body of Christ in this very difficult town, we find that they did everything that they could to accomplish it. Because they trusted, if God told us to do it, then we have the ability to do it through the power of His Spirit. They had faith in God and God's great work. And He commended them for that. Third, we find that Jesus commended them for their patience. He said, I know your service and perseverance. Some version uses that word patience. The word patient or perseverance is an active noun as well. It means to persist in action. He used it in conjunction with service. No matter what the task was, they did not give up. <coughs> Sometimes you can't just jump into the fire and try to get something done. Sometimes you have to be patient and wait for the right time. I've always told my kids, timing is everything. And what we want as we strive to be obedient to God is we need to be patient and wait on His timing. And in His timing, then we act following what his desire and his will is. And he says, well done. I commend you for that to the church at Thyatira. And he will for us as well. Fourth, he commended them for their progressiveness. 
He says, you are now doing more than you did at first. It is such a, a difference, a contrast to what most churches do. Most churches, they, they get really excited at the beginning, and then over the course of the years, they become complacent. They become comfortable. They have a, a character that seems to, to say, well, it's just us, and so we need to do what is best for us. And that's why so many of our churches, I'm talking about a, probably around 85 to 90 percent of uh, Southern Baptist churches are plateaued. Why is that? Why would those churches be plateaued? Because they're just riding the wave. They're comfortable. They're complacent. They're apathetic. They're indifferent. No, they love the Great Commission, and they want to do everything they can to, to do what God desires. It's just that they have it in their mind, and they have it in their words, but their actions don't show it. This church was so different. Thyatira, they... They are doing more at the time of this writing, Jesus says, than they were doing at the beginning. It was different. They were growing in grace. They were growing in their oneness with Christ and their intimacy. And because of what he commended them for before, their love, their deeds, their faith, their service, their perseverance, he said, you guys are, are doing everything that you should and you're giving everything that you can. We find that not only are they growing in grace, they're active in their deeds and their service. Their ministries are broad and wide, striving to not only uplift and take care of their own body, but reaching into the community that really did not want to hear what they had to say. But those people were lost, and therefore the church at Thyatira wanted to do everything they could to share the gospel. They were like a dynamic, growing church, a new process, a new group, a new church that was making a difference in the community. And we are supporting uh, two of those types of churches, church plants, the Relentless Church in, in uh, downtown Phoenix and the Asante Church. Those are brand new churches. And I tell you what, as you, uh, as you read the information that we disperse to you about those churches, they are active and moving and exciting. And that's exactly the type of church I see here at Thyatira. That's the type of church that God wants us to be, and we have been, and we will be again. Let me tell you, Jesus commended them because they had kept their first love, because they were faithful, they were patient, they were progressive, they were doing everything that God wanted them to do. But there was one problem. We find that Jesus condemned the church for just one thing. The Scripture says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Who was Jezebel? And why is Jesus referring symbolically to the woman in the church at Thyatira as Jezebel? Well, one scholar called Jezebel of the Old Testament the wickedest woman in all the world. The Phoenician princess Jezebel was born rich and she was born in charge. She was the daughter of Ethbel, the king of the, the uh, uh, Sidonians. Her marriage to Ahab was completely, strictly a political alliance between two nations. And her personality, her past, and her position made her dangerous. She grew up as a worshiper of Baal, and she determined that when she married Ahab, 
that she was going to drive Jehovah God out of Israel and usher in both Baal and the Asherah worship. They were a fertility god and a goddess of love. Jezebel filled her palace and the surrounding worship centers with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 female prophets of the Asherah. Sexual immorality, temple prostitution, even the sacrifice of children were the order of the day. If it took murdering a few hundred of the holy men of Israel to promote her religious beliefs, so be it. And that's exactly what she did. So much so that Elijah at one point asked God, am I the only one left in Israel? The great late pastor and preacher R.G. Lee implied that if you were to roll together Cleopatra, Lady Macbeth, Potiphar's wife, Queen of Mary, Queen of Scots, Catherine of Russia, Madame Pompadour, and Josephine of France, all together you would have Jezebel, that painted viper of Israel, he said. The woman at Thyatira, well, we know that she was not named Jezebel, but the characteristics that I have described of the Jezebel of the Old Testament, which is just a brief thumbnail sketch, he said, this is that type of woman. So the symbolic name tells us the kind of woman she was. First, she was an evil woman. She was teaching that immorality was not a serious matter for believers. It was free and okay. She tied the fertility rites of the nature worship onto the church at Thyatira. Fornication to her meant the practice of the immoral rites of the Canaanites. She committed adultery in the name of religion. And she was teaching this to the believers at Thyatira. She loved idolatry because it allowed her to live the way she wanted to. She was involved in sexual immorality. She wasn't satisfied to be just immoral herself. She wanted the church to accept immorality as, the church, as, the, uh, as an accepted practice. In other words, for the church to put their stamp of approval on and say, you know what, it's okay because you are a believer in Christ, you're free in Christ, but you can live any way that you want to live. And so she tried to teach and to pressure the church, listing herself as a prophetess. You know, the same is true in our own secular society. The church is being pressured by many outside forces to accept evil practices that the Bible says is wrong, is sin. And the pressure continues to build in a great way. And they're beginning to use names for Christians and churches that hold on to the biblical teaching as they see the Bible as insignificant. And they use terms that try to put other people in their mindset against us. But we have to hold true. Like this evil woman, Jezebel at Thyatira, putting pressure on the church to say, you know what, you need to okay this. You need to accept this. This is what our community does. We need to be engaged and involved in it. 
Why is sexual immorality serious? Sex outside of marriage always hurts someone. It hurts God because it shows that we prefer to satisfy our desires our own way instead of according to what God's Word says, or to satisfy them now instead of waiting for God's timing. It hurts others because it violates the commitment so necessary to a relationship and a growing and an intimate relationship. It destroys trust between two people who are married. And it hurts us because it often brings disease to our bodies and adversely affects our personalities, our emotions, our mental capability, even our soul. Sexual immorality has tremendous power to destroy families and churches and communities because it destroys the integrity on which these relationships are built. God wants to protect us from hurting ourselves and hurting others. Therefore, we are to have no part in sexual immorality, even if our culture accepts it and tries to pressure us. Jezebel of Thyatira had embraced this evil and was teaching it and trying to get a following from the church and Jesus said I have this against you you tolerate her second we find out that she was brilliant of mind the term that Jesus uses mislead or seduce means to be cunning to undermine to lead astray Evil destroyers seem to be the most cunning and brilliant. They're, they're some of the smartest people in the crowd. They know how to, to go around the policies, the rules. They know how to, to not focus upon what is seen before them, but have a broader picture and devise schemes and ways to get around and to get underneath those things. This Jezebel was brilliant. In pagan temples, meat was often offered to idols, and that meat that wasn't burned up as the idol uh, to the idol was sold to the shoppers of the temple marketplaces. Eating meat offered to idols wasn't wrong in itself, but it could violate the principle of the sensitivity toward the weaker, weaker Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, because they might be bothered of it. We see this reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and Romans chapter 14 and verse 2. Jezebel obviously was more concerned about her own selfish pleasure and freedom than she was the needs or the concerns of her fellow believers, in particular those who were new believers that were conflicted concerning this topic that even the Apostle Paul had spoken of at an earlier time. She was most likely a businesswoman that, because of belonging to a trade guild, was confronted with feasts and the common meals and the festivals in which meat offered to idols was commonly served. And to attend, not to attend those particular festivals and common meals and those feasts was economic suicide by those who had convictions. There was business peer pressure to be a part of this, to network, to connect. And if a Christian felt strongly about it and they didn't attend, they would be ostracized. Economic sanctions. In a city whose economic life was dominated by trade guilds in which pagan religious practices had become the criteria for membership. In other words, if you're going to be a member of this union, what you have to have is you've got to 
to be involved in these pagan religious ceremonies. A Christian convert would be faced with a problem of compromising his or her stand, at least enough to participate in a common meal that was dedicated to some pagan deity. And so we find that with her Nicolaitan orientation, this prophetess named Jezebel could suggest to the church, well, since an idol has no real existence, referring back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, believers do not have to undergo seclusion. You don't have to boycott those common meals. It's okay. You can go along with those simple requirements of the trade guild. And so you can compromise, potentially harming your weaker brothers and sisters just to get ahead. And so she was cunning, brilliant, on how she would slide that in. That an idol has no real existence, so eating meat given to that idol, which does not exist, has no relevance at all. And yet, Jesus said that that sexual immorality and the eating of meat that was given to idols were forbidden. Here was this woman who was telling all of those in the church, it's okay, it's pragmatic, it's a way for us to get along in this society. We also find that this Jezebel was bold in action. She calls herself a prophetess, Jesus said. Where did she get the right to proclaim the new revelation that I just spoke of? that you can have meat offered to idols because idols don't exist. What authority did she gain? Well, did she get that, uh, that ability to pronounce to the church? It's because she called herself a prophetess. She labeled herself with boldness and self-gain, just like many people today that say, I am a prophet of God, and God has revealed to me some new, deeper secrets. She proclaimed deep secrets, which were not revelations from God, but rather Jesus said they were from Satan. She was a wolf in sheep's clothing. She was darkness claiming to be light. She was misleading the believers at Thyatira. This Jezebel reminds us that we should hold tightly to the basics of our Christian faith, both in our faith and view with caution and counsel any new teaching that turns us away from the Bible or the fellowship of faith and that seemingly guarantees us a deeper spiritual life. Just a few years ago, and it's still very much into the news, is what Oprah Winfrey and others have embraced called the secret. It is a dangerous so-called deeper secret, <laughs> deeper spiritual life. And if you get into it and you read through it, you find it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But it sounds good. And when you have celebrities that people like that put their stamp of, of approval on it and that are supposed to have a Christian faith, then people flock to it. 
But what it does is it says, hey, the Bible's not good enough. There's something more than the Bible. There's something deeper than the Bible, and God has given that to me. And that's what Jezebel was doing to the church of Thyatira. And that's what happens to many. Today, if you go on the internet, you Google any kind of new prophet, man, you could find hundreds of them out there, and you can begin following them down a very, very dark trail. It's dangerous. Well, we find some things out about this Jezebel, but what also we find is that Jesus reserved a special end for this woman. He said, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. That doesn't sound too good. He said he would be, she would be destroyed by the same means that she used to subvert the church. She promoted sexual immorality. Jesus said, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. The judgment continued to all who followed her ways and did not repent, even to her children. Her refusal to repent was to bring about great judgment upon her, upon her household, and upon her followers. The churches of Asia Minor would know that this judgment came from God, and God is in control because evidently the words of this prophetess the seven churches of Asia Minor had heard and had known about. And when God brings about his judgment, people will know this was from God, not just something that happened. Evil might blossom for a season, but the winter of judgment looms ahead. Jesus said, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. My goodness, we all must reflect on that. If we're not holding to the teachings of the Holy Scriptures as the guide of our life, and we just take whatever spiritual direction we want to go that we think is right, God says, you know, eventually, and you're teaching others and leading others astray, eventually that judgment is going to come. And we're going to get repaid. But he also says, listen, for those of you, for those of you who are faithful, you will be repaid as well. You'll be repaid with things that you would not even have considered or thought about for yourself. And that brings us to the third point. We understand that Jesus commended the church at Thyatira, but he had a complaint about them. He had something against them, something they had to take care of, something they could no longer tolerate. They needed to stand firm. And he says, listen, if you do, I have some promises. Jesus made promises to the faithful. He said, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end. Here's what he's going to do for those who overcomes and does his will to the end. In other words, finishing strong. He promises to take care of the situation. He said, I will not impose any other burden on you. The church if it will cease to tolerate this Jezebel, will no longer have to suffer because of her. The Lord promises to those who overcome that He will not put any more spiritual obligations on them than they already have. No additional duties through the special Gnostic revelations as we look at uh, verse 24. You don't have to deal with that. 
And they are to be loyal in what has already been given, he says in verse 25. He says, listen, I'm, I just want you to do what you're doing now, and I want you to do it faithfully after you get this evil out of the church. So that the church at Thyatira, like any other church today, can focus upon the main thing which is accomplishing the Great Commission and the Great Covenant. He promises to those who overcome that they will receive power, authority over the nations. They're going to find themselves completely vindicated as Christians before the men who are now persecuting them. He says, I'm going to, I've got your back. You're going to be vindicated. And those who are punishing you, they themselves will be punished, and you will be elevated. That picture of their ruling with rods of iron is symbolic of the certainty of their vindication and their triumph with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said, listen, you have to be patient because in my timing, this will happen. Not only does he promise to take care of the situation that the Christians are suffering in right now, but he also promises a new day. He said, I will also give him the morning star. Here he further promises to give them, the overcomers, the morning star. What is the morning star? It's his guidance and his leadership in the dark hour of troubles and trials. You know, a morning star appears just before dawn, when the night is the darkest and the coldest. When the world is at its bleakest point, Christ is going to burst upon the scene, exposing evil with the light of truth and bringing his promise reward. That's what he says. It might seem dark. It might seem difficult. Easter's just about seven weeks away. We always talk about Good Friday, the darkness of Friday. But we always use that tagline, but Sunday's coming. And I promise you this, that even though the times seem dark and evil seems to be everywhere and we are confused and confined and disturbed and some are even fearful, I promise you that Jesus is going to take care of it. And he's going to burst on the scene. And when he bursts on the scene, he's going to expose the evil. And he's going to bring his promised reward for you who are faithful. Take hope and encouragement. Because God never lies. Jesus never tells an untruth. He holds his promises near and dear. And at the right time, they will be accomplished. And I promise you, not only in life eternal, but here he's going to take care of you. And he has your reward. And he will break through. My friends, we must not allow people of influence or position to lead us astray. We must not tolerate sin just to befriend the world. We must stand firm in our beliefs, our morals, our ethics, our faith, even against the tide of the world and the worldly who are among us. It will cost us to be faithful, but it's worth it. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That's what Jesus is saying to us. As a church, we might be doing so many good things, but he says, listen, 
Watch the teaching that's going on. Watch the lifestyle. Watch those in your body, your fellowship, who are trying or by word or deed or their influence to lead people off to the side. To move them away from those things which Jesus has told us to do within the Scriptures. To be obedient to Him. And saying, oh, if you'll follow me, I I have greater insight than anybody else on spiritual things, deeper things. Be careful. Because if they're not rooted in the Scriptures, you'll be led astray. And Jesus said, I will not tolerate that. But to those who overcome, I promise you, I will take care of the situation and I will take care of you. My friend, I promise you that you will be better by far. In our invitation, I would just like to ask you, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus, is today a day that you would ask him to come into your life and your heart? Because he will give you eternal life and abundant life here, even in a darkened world. And this morning, you can give your life to Christ. Right where you are, in your living room, watching this. Just ask, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sins. You were raised up for my justification. So right now, I ask you to come into my heart and take my sins away. I want Jesus. He'll do that. For those who are believers here today, let's take this this statement to the church at Thyatira. As Jesus came to that church, he said, man, there's so many good things going on, but here's one thing I want you to not tolerate, to adjust. And let's reflect upon our own church. We have a lot of things going on that are good, but are there things that we need to adjust, things we might be tolerating that we should not be? Are we doing everything we can to fulfill why Jesus left us here? And that is to be obedient to him. And this morning, I would just encourage you and ask you, if you would, just to rededicate your life. Reflect on that. If there's anything in your life that needs to be adjusted, please, in this time of prayer, take that step. Father, as we move into uh, this invitation time, I pray that you would be with each one who is watching. I pray, God, that you will speak to them boldly. And whatever decision needs to be made, I pray, Father, that we will hear it and that we will choose to be obedient and make the decision you want us to make. God, I pray at the same time we would understand what Jesus is saying to this church and apply those lessons to our church. Help us to stand strong, even in a darkened world, and be the light of the world. And help us to commit to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.